Throughout the day of Yom Kippur, we are reciting, we are saying confessions. There's a long confession, there's a shorter confession, a shamnu. And each of the prayers, we have a confession in our silent prayer, we have a confession in the repetition of the Amidah. Truth of the matter is that confession, acknowledgement of what is wrong, of course, it's the first step towards making it right. And in thinking about the biblical narrative, story of the Torah, that first narrative, the story of the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit, and after they partake of the forbidden fruit, they hide, and God is walking about the garden. They hear the sound of God walking about the garden, and God calls out to Adam, Ayeka, where are you? And Adam answers, I heard your voice, and I was frightened because I'm naked. And God says to Adam, who told you that you're naked? Did you eat of that fruit I told you not to eat of? I warned you not to eat of it? And the response of Adam, of course, is, The woman you put by my side, she gave it to me. So, the woman you put by my side, he blames her. He blames God, the one you put by my side. And that story, that inability to recognize what's wrong, to take responsibility for it, which appears in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, is a theme that repeats throughout the book. There are several instances in the book of Genesis where someone says to somebody else, what did you do? And it's very interesting to look at the various cases where someone says, what did you do? Because the person who's saying, what did you do, very often is very far from innocence himself. King Avimelech, the king of the Philistines, who grabs Sarah, takes Abraham's wife. He doesn't know that she's his wife, but he does take her without consent. And he also thinks to take Isaac's wife. Chapter 26 of Genesis. God warns him, don't do it. Then he turns, Avimelech, the king of the Philistines, turns to Abraham, turns to Isaac. What did you do? What did you do? And they give answers. And neither, none of the answers are fully satisfactory. Abraham's answers, in fact, in chapter 20 of Genesis, are highly problematic. Even Isaac's answer, which is the best answer, I was afraid, that's not a bad answer. But it's an excuse. Maybe it's, uh, for the most part, a valid excuse. But I wouldn't call that a full confession. And this repeats throughout the book of Genesis until we come towards the end of the book of Genesis in the story of Joseph and his brothers. In the story of Joseph and his brothers, Joseph puts the magical goblet in the sack of Benjamin when the brothers are going back to the land of Canaan. And then someone chases after the brothers and says to them, why did you steal the goblet of our master? Why did you repay good with evil? We've been so good to you. And the brothers who also have money in their own sacks, which they know they didn't take. They say, whoever took us should die. We too shall be slaves. Oh no, no, says the fellow. No, the one who took us should be a slave. You can go home in peace. Then they come back to Joseph. Joseph says to them, what did you do? And then Judah speaks up. We have nothing to say. God has found out our sin. Elohim matzat avon avadecha We'll all be slaves. Then Joseph says, no, just the one who took it. And then Judah says, well, take me instead of him. 
I took responsibility. That's a very important confession. Because the confession of Judah, which is the true confession, is a confession actually not related to the crime he's accused of. He presumably knows that the crime that Benjamin has been accused of, of stealing the goblet, is probably not true. Because he knows that their own sacks were filled with with money that they did not take. It's been planted in their sacks. But the point of Judah's confession is he's actually confessing to a different crime, the crime of the sale of Joseph, which the brothers even earlier had taken some responsibility for. I have nothing to say because in truth I am guilty. Not of what you think. I'm not guilty of that. But in effect, the situation we find ourselves in the cause of that can be laid at our own feet. And therefore, we have nothing to say. We can vindicate ourselves before you. And that's a very deep confession. So confession, and that's what allows the brothers, actually, to be reunited. And that's what allows Joseph to reunite with his brothers. And that's what is the primary story that indicates that Judah can be the leader of the family. It's all a function of the confession. The one who says, take me as a slave, is the one later, in the blessings of Jacob, who becomes the king. So Yom Kippur is all about confession. It goes back to that first story. We want to truly understand what we did wrong. Sometimes, technically, we may have not done anything wrong. But in reality, we've done a lot wrong. And that's the confession. And that's true of all Yom Kippur. Until we come to the last prayer of Yom Kippur, Ne'ilah, and there it's different. We do have the short confession, or Shamnu, but in place of the Alchet, we have a different confession, which is the core prayer of Ne'ilah. It begins with the words, Atonoten Yad Poshim. God, you stretch out your hand to help the sinner. God wants us to return. God wants us to repent. And what's striking is that in that section, Atonoten Yad Poshim, it mentions one specific crime for which we acknowledge our guilt. You have taught us to confess that we stop the Oshek. Oshek is theft. It may be a particular kind of theft. It's taking things that don't belong to us, that we stop taking that which does not belong to us. That's a very striking phrase. First of all, that expression to rid yourself of that which you've taken, that which is in your hands, which is illicitly in your hands, is in fact the confession of the city of Nineveh in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, of course, is read in the afternoon prayer of Yom Kippur, the prayer just before Ne'ilah. And there the king of the Nineveh says, everybody should repent of their evil deeds. Umin hachamas asher And with the theft that is in their hands. Hamas is theft. It also means wickedness, but it means theft. So, the Ne'ilah prayer is playing off the Jonah story. And in a broader sense, one could say that the theft that's in our hands, why is this the confession? For Why does this represent all our sins? Because if you take something that you shouldn't be taking, you're misusing the world, you're putting the world, such as the claim, on Yom Kippur and beyond. Put in the world for a purpose. And everything in this world can be used for that purpose. If you misuse the world, if you take it 
in ways that are not purposeful. That is to say, that don't help us accomplish what we are putting it to do. It's a kind of theft. It's a misuse. It's not understanding what we're here for. So in point of fact, the confession of the Ila is not so much about specific mistakes that we made, that we've said all of Yom Kippur. It's more of a reflection upon, perhaps even a meditation upon, who am I? Who is the human being? And there it's very striking that in the confession of the Ila, and the first paragraph is, You help us repent. We should stop the theft of our hands. Accept our repentance. And then it goes into a meditation upon the human being. Who are we anyway? We live a short life. We have no deep understanding. We make so many mistakes. Paragraph ends with the statement, There is no difference between the beast and the human. It is all vanity. Very striking statement. And the very next line, but you have set the human aside from the very beginning. And recognize that the human can stand before you. Our prayers, our silent prayers, are called Amida, standing before God. Standing before God speaks to the majesty and the dignity of the human being. The first paragraph speaks to the misunderstanding, the limitation of the human being. And this meditation upon the nature of the human being, this acknowledgement of what it means to be human, is in fact the great confession of the last prayer of Yom Kippur. So on one hand, it's making a very important statement that we have abilities, and we are seen as important. We can stand before God, we can talk to God, we stand before the infinite, finite beings. First paragraph of course, is a meditation upon the limitation of humanity and the need for repentance and gratitude for God's accepting our repentance. You have taught us to repent before you. So, the idea of Yom Kippur is to try to get a real sense of who we are, a real sense of our abilities, and our many limitations, a plea for divine aid in allowing us to see better, and not to see just about the individual mistakes, but to try to focus in on our purpose in this world, what we might be accomplishing, and hopefully to use those things that are out at our disposal in a beneficial way for ourselves to grow, to understand, to do better in the coming year and to have a positive impact upon the world. That is the great confession of the end of Yom Kippur. That's the vidui. Vidui from the sense of acknowledgement. So the day of Yom Kippur, of course, is a day of srichot. It's a petition to God to forgive us. And the srichot always precede the vidui on Yom Kippur, because you enter into Yom Kippur with the mindset that Atonement is possible. If one believes atonement is impossible, it's very hard to be fully present on Yom Kippur. One has to believe that there is hope, that the God before whom we stand is a forgiving God. If you believe that, 
that makes possible the next step, which is to think very hard about both individual errors that may have been made, mistakes we made in the past, and the larger question of what is my purpose? How can I serve in this world? How can I use those things legitimately to further this purpose, to improve the world in which we live, which at the end of the day on Yom Kippur is God's world. That's the book of Jonah. These are my creatures, says God. This is the world that I have built. It's not a perfect world because human beings are not perfect. But I do, I do want this world to be sustained. That's a very important message that Jonah is given, the end of the book of Jonah. And it's a message, I think, that is underlying all of Yom Kippur, and in particular, the great confession of the end of Yom Kippur. You have recognized the human and the human's ability to stand before you.